Welcome to Profoundly Pointless. My name is Nick Vinzant. Coming up in this episode, fireworks and fireworks. What I really love about pyrotechnics is the immediacy of it. You get to witness this one little thing, and then if you're not there, it's gone. You know, we use different chemicals uh, to be able to create the different effects that we want it to be. You know, so like we have different effects that'll make crackle. We have different effects that'll make it bright and yellow. And you make those by hand. Um, it's important to note every firework, every firework out there, everything is made by hand. For me, there's like certain memories, you know, that, that are very like, like stuck in my head that I can remember that were like, oh my God, you know, like that was like for that time and place, like the coolest thing ever. And I want to thank you so much for joining us. If you get a chance, subscribe, leave us a rating or a review. We really appreciate it. It really helps us out. We are trying to make this show much more interactive. So starting in July probably towards the end of July. We're going to be setting up a voicemail so that we can hear more from you. So our first guest is a pyrotechnician who has worked on some of the biggest shows out there. Everything from Golden Gate Bridge celebrations, Macy's parades, Burning Man, you name it, he's done it. And what I found so interesting is there's how I thought being a pyrotechnician worked and how I thought that fireworks were made. And then there's how it's really done. This is pyrotechnician Steve Yass. I think everybody has heard of a pyrotechnician, but I don't really know what a pyrotechnician is doing. Like I know, but I don't really know. You know, I would say it is a professional who is qualified and is properly trained on the safe execution of doing uh, fireworks displays. And there are a lot of different probably nuances with respect to that particular term. Uh, and for myself, you know, I'm coming from the professional display community, you know, so I, when I'm working with pyrotechnics, I'm doing it in the context of a public display for a 4th of July show or a birthday party or something like that. And to me, that particular word, it means somebody who is is gone through the proper training and has the proper qualifications to be able to execute a show safely. So how much training will go into it? Being a pyrotechnician, you know, who has a license, uh, and it's important to note that like my license comes from, in my case, the state of California from the office of the state fire marshal. Uh, it's a license just like any other profession, whether you're a CPA which I also am, or a lawyer or a medical doctor, you know, you're, you're getting a license from the state that shows and demonstrates that you have gone through the proper training and have the proper background to be able to do this. And in my particular case, uh, it's a lifelong thing. I grew up in the profession. My dad, uh, while not a licensed pyrotechnician, has been in the community for pretty much his life, which means it's the entirety of my life. I grew up doing this. Uh, and then when I turned 18, that's when I really kind of started shooting shows. And that, at least during the state of California, is the minimum age to be able to handle pyrotechnics. And for the first several years, it was just apprenticing. It's just basically learning from other people. And I would say that it is very much a tradition that's been handed down thousands of years, really kind of going back to the invention of black powder to today from person to person. Um, whether it be the safe and presentation of a show or, you know, where I actually do is we actually make fireworks too. You know, beyond the actual 4th of July uh, shows, you know, there's a whole community which I'm a part of where we're still practicing the traditional art of making pyro. The different methods and manners of wiring a, uh, a show or the different methods and manners of rolling stars to make the different effects. 
uh, that you really learn. You know, there's so much. It's just like baking in that particular way where, you know, you really can't learn it until you do it. And with anybody who's maybe interested in going out and becoming a pyrotechnician, I would encourage you to kind of learn from somebody who who has been in the industry and who has had those years of experience because there's so much you'll pick up from somebody else. Now, beyond that, to get your license, there are specific requirements at every state. And again, I'm, I'm here in the state of California, so our requirements are going to be different than Nevada, which are going to be different than Washington or elsewhere. Uh, but there's a huge component of it that's the experience that you pick up from other pyros, uh, working on shows. Then there's a written test and exam. There's a training program that you have to go through. Um, then there's uh, background checks and other things like that. But uh, And I would encourage our listeners to uh, review their state fire marshal guidelines on what's required. But uh, I would tell you, just go out and do it. You know, and find a pyro and just start swinging a hammer and start building a show and actually just start learning from somebody. That's the best way of getting started. So it's a real kind of training thing. It's not like I'm CPR certified, but I took a two hour course yeah. and I couldn't do CPR, <laughs> right? Like, sure. If if someone's life yeah. depended on it, it's a it's a real like. Oh no, you really got to know what you're doing. Yeah, no, it really now, is. Now, what's difficult about it? Is it putting together the show? Is it the safety aspect? Like what's the difficult part about being a pyrotechnician? You know, when you're a crew member, you know, it, it's often working with the pyro itself. It's a very physically demanding job. You know, we like to say it's firework, you know, cause it is work. It's a lot of fun. I mean, and for many of us, myself included, it's an, it's an ancillary thing to our lives in the sense that uh, it's not my my full-time gig. It's something I do many times throughout the year. So it's not the way that I earn my living, um, but it's still work. You know, like I tell people, like I take vacation from my normal job to go do physical manual labor in the sun uh, every 4th of July and throughout the year. And I love it. I, I wouldn't have it any other way. But when you're a crew member, it's often uh, the physical labor side of this. Uh, the equipment we're working with, the mortars themselves are very heavy. Uh, you could be working with anything from stuff that weighs, you know, a couple of pounds to hundreds of pounds. You know, a 10-inch mortar, which is a steel gun, has a side-in wall, probably about a quarter inch of cold rolled steel in a sanded mortar box can weigh a thousand pounds easily, you know, and, and you're working often, you know, with really heavy heavy things, moving them around uh, to get them into the position that you want them to be. And it's a physically demanding job. The mortar is the thing shooting off the fireworks, correct? Think of it as the tube. Okay. You know, so you have the mortar and you have the shell. And so the shell is the firework itself. We call it product in the industry, the product of the show. And then the mortar is what we shoot it out of. Uh, and a term mortar is a very generic term. It's used in the military. It's used obviously in our profession. It just, it's, it's the, it's the tube that ultimately the firework will leave from. And when a firework goes off, you know, we have a firework seated at the bottom of the mortar. And when we light it, it produces a ton of gas, like a tremendous amount of gas. Uh, and that creates a concussion at the bottom of the mortar that ultimately projects the shell out of the mortar itself up into the sky. And we know roughly, you know, the size based off of the diameter of that shell, how big it'll go, meaning how wide it'll shoot, how high it'll go in the air, how long it'll take to get to the apex. And all of that's determined by the firework itself and ultimately the mortar you use. So are they pretty standard in the sense that like, look, this is a math calculation at the end of the day. And if we put mm -hmm. this much in at this, it is going to do exactly yep. this. Or can they be unpre in, yes. unpredict unpredictable? 
the the stuff that we're shooting uh, that we use for public displays, you know, and I'll point out like our company, Pyro Spectaculars by Suzu, we shoot the annual New Year's Eve show at the Space Needle, you know, every year. We've been doing it for many, many years at this point. Um, everything on that that show is tested. Everything on that show is professional grade. Everything on that show has been cleared to be used on that. And we know a hundred percent. We have uh, safety procedures and we also have testing procedures that when we receive product that we will put this product through evaluations to ensure it is something that is reliable. That's going to be the effect that we're going for and then ultimately safe for the public. Uh, but we know, I mean, I, apart from this, apart from the public display aspect of this, you know, when you're making a firework itself, it's not a hundred percent a formula. It's, it's art and science, but uh, we roughly know, you know, if I do this and this and this, it's going to yield something that'll look something like this. Now, just like a baker baking a cake, I mean, you can, you know, have some variations on that, but for the most part, we know roughly what it's going to be. And um, what I would tell you the rough calculations, this isn't perfect, but the rough is that for about every inch of diameter of shell, and typically you'll start off, the smallest shells are going to be about three inches, and those are our finale shells. And uh, for our, um, we use those a lot in finales, and we also we use them throughout everywhere, but three inches is about the standard smallest size that most of the time we're working with for aerial, and it obviously can change. Uh, going all the way up to the, the largest standard production size is 12 inch, but I will point out they can go much bigger than that, much bigger. But uh, roughly for about every inch of caliber, it's roughly about um, 100 feet of burst, meaning it'll go 100 feet wide, it'll go 100 feet in the air, and it'll take a second to get there. So roughly, let's say like an 8-inch shell, which would be a fairly large um, 4th of July production shell that we would use, that'll roughly go about 800 feet wide, it'll take 8 seconds to apex, and it'll go about 800 feet in the air, roughly. That actually works out very well, mm -hmm. right? So if you've got a 1-inch shell, it's going to go 100 feet wide, it's going to take 1 second sure. to blow up. Is blow up the right? Yeah, that's not perfect. Is, is blow up the right word or the pyrotechnicians like, ooh, you don't say blow up. Yeah, well, no. I mean, detonate. Or, yeah, we have, we have, well, yeah, we have, we have different technical terms. Like a detonation would mean that the shell blows up in the mortar itself. Um, that's, that's what we refer to as a detto or detonation. Um, that's something obviously you don't want. But uh, no, we would just say that it shoots, you know, and then it'll burst in the sky. You know, burst would probably be the term I would use most, uh, most succinctly. So in my mind, right, like, are these basically just big black cats in the sense that like, all right, this, this is basically just an upscaled version of the firework stuff that you buy at the tent, or is this a fundamentally different thing? Yeah, great question. Um, so with respect to the pyro that we're shooting, the, we have two major classifications, uh, three technically, but really in production, there's there's two major classifications. It actually comes from the Department of Transportation. We have 1.3 and we have 1.4. And 1.3 is aerial pyrotechnics, which is non-consumer. Um, these are, these are I want to point out, they're not high explosives. They're, they're normal explosive devices. It's not like C4. It's not like debt cord or something like that. These are artistic effect. And it's important to note that art, fireworks are art. And what we're going for isn't necessarily the blast, but what that blast produces, beautiful colors, sound effects, things of this nature. And, and uh, those fireworks are designed for that. But aerial fireworks, which is the 1.3, which is the stuff we're typically dealing with here, um, you know, your consumer should never handle those. Um, I'm not going to say that they're unsafe, but they do require particular training and uh, safety um, awareness to be able to work 
correctly. And they also require, in almost all instances, a mortar, which, again, most consumers are not going to have. But these shells are... Um, I mean, they're fundamentally different in terms of how they operate. And they're typically single single thing. Like you might end up getting a fountain or a cake or something like that from a consumer grade that might have lots of different effects in it. Uh, our effects are single purpose, you know, so it's like a, you know, let's say five inch red dahlia or it might be a, you know, a three inch uh, red, white, blue peony. Uh, but it does one thing and one thing only. Um, Like now you make some of the fireworks yourself. Does that, I guess, how do you make? A firework is it really just like breaking a cake like all right you take what's what's the thing that's blowing up like what are you using is it gunpowder i have i don't have any idea black powder um so with respect to making fireworks i want to make it very clear in the context of a fourth of july show like well i'll be shooting next week there are no handmade uh pyrotechnic devices that like i'm physically or personally making all the stuff is is uh professional grade all of this stuff is made in in very strict production quality environments you know to ensure the safety accuracy and reliability of the devices um i'm a member of several different organizations but the two most notable would be pyrotechnic skilled international pgi which is our international uh, association of let's just call it fireworks enthusiasts. And then I'm also a member of the Western Pyrotechnic Association, WPA. And we host a convention at both organizations where members will come together over a common love of fireworks. And throughout those events, there'll be many opportunities to manufacture your own pyro. And it could be learning how to make a uh, you know, uh, wheels, pinwheels, it could be learning how to make, you know, you know, different types of uh, aerial effects. Um, you learn how to make all that stuff uh, at those types of events under a environment where you're working with people who know what they're doing, that have the proper uh, safety considerations all taken care of. And, um, and you learn from one person to the other, from master to student. And uh, often with pyro, you know, you have uh, some pyrotechnic composition, as we are called, or comp, and it could be anything. Um, you know, we use different chemicals uh, to be able to create the different effects that we want it to be. You know, so like we have different effects that'll make crackle. We have different effects that'll make it bright and yellow or uh, bright and blue. You mix different chemicals together to ultimately get the effect that you're going for. And it's the process of kind of pulling it all together uh, that you'll ultimately create what are called stars. And stars are those pyrotechnic effects that have been rolled in certain chemicals. They end up as kind of, if you can imagine, little balls. And those end up like pixels in the sky. You know, like when you're looking yeah, yeah, at fireworks yeah. and you see the individual lights coming down. Those are those are what we call stars. And you make those by hand. Um, it's important to note every firework, every firework out there. Everything is made by hand. It doesn't matter if it's made by myself or it's made by a, um, a manufacturing facility. Everything is made by hand. Uh, there is no really kind of like mass manufacturing of this. And somebody's hands ultimately made every effect that you've ever seen. And um, the difference is when you make it for yourself, you know, you can – you could really put the attention to detail into these shells to get the exact effect, the symmetry, the color, the orientation, you know, that you're kind of going for. And, you know, what's beautiful about PGI and with Winter Blast, with the WPA, you'll see, I mean, almost everything at those events are made by hand. They're made by the members that are there. And you'll see stuff that you won't see anywhere else because that one shell might have taken that person three days or even longer to make. Wow, it takes that long. Oh, it could take way longer than that, you know. Uh, I have a good friend um, whose name is Jim Widman, 
that uh, he's also a member of all of this. He's a current record holder for pretty much every large caliber firework you've ever seen. And he'll often work on a single shell for months to uh, to get that one perfect shell that goes off. And he's done shows all over the world, uh, often with very large pyro. Um, and by large, I mean like in the thousands of pounds per shell. And like, I think the biggest one he's done at this fuss, this point is like 60 inches. So like five feet in diameter, you know, and he could work on that shell for months to make that happen. Do you have to be super careful while you're making it? Like the one wrong move and the house is gone. Mm -hmm. Or is it pretty much like, look, just don't have a fire next to it and you're going to be fine. We have tables of distances that we have to follow. So if you're doing this, this, and this, you need X number of feet between structures. Uh, there's strict criteria and guidelines about what that uh, manufacturing space has to have. Certainly no flame, period. You know, but the other big thing that we have to think about is static electricity. You know, what's the atmospheric pressure? Um, you know, because certain things, for example, will create atmospheric pressure, which is going to create more static. Um, lightning, you know, is a huge consideration. You know, I would tell you anytime you're manufacturing, the, at least for myself, the first thing I'm thinking about is egress. You know, if, if something happens, how can I get away from here? This is absolutely not something you want to do just in your house or your backyard. You need to have a dedicated space to be able to do this correctly. Are there a lot of pyrotechnicians or is it hard to find people? In the state of California, in terms of licensed operators, there's a list that's maintained by the state. And uh, last time I looked at it, you know, there were several hundred people uh, with different licenses. It's important to note, there's not just one license. There's several different licenses you can have um, that have one license or the other. So it's only a couple hundred people here, at least in the state of California, which is one of the largest markets for pyro. Now, when, when it's time, when it's go time, right? Like, is somebody sitting there like, all right, light the match? Or is it basically computerized at this point? Uh, there are three ways of being able to shoot pyro. You can physically go out and light it, which many people still do. But then really with our company and, and other companies in the in the industry, they really kind of started to advocate for the safe presentation of this, where instead of lighting it by hand, where you're putting yourself physically near the fireworks itself, you can shoot these things electronically um, where essentially you can put a, a firing system sometimes, you know, hundreds of feet away or even further, and then be able to shoot it remotely. In the case of, of something uh, detrimental happening, you're not putting that specific operator at physical risk. And currently for our company, with very few exceptions, almost everything is shot electronically in that way. Now, in the 21st century, we shoot things digitally. And for our, our many of our shows now, we're, we're shooting them electronically, but they're being computer shot. And that really kind of allowed us to be able to do things with much tighter choreography, um, where we can choreograph the effects and the time that those effects go up in the sky to be able to produce firework shows that are cued specifically to music. And so when you see, you know, again, like the 1812 Overture and you hear the cannon fire going, you know, that cannon fire occurring is occurring at the same time we're shooting pyro in the air and it's perfectly synced up. It's not that you can't do that with electronic firing, which is a manual process where the pyro literally shoots each shell, but they're doing it remotely. The computer is just going to do it with such accuracy that um, really kind of separates, uh, I would say, um, the the ability to be able to choreograph these shows uh, to a much tighter timeline. That makes sense, right? Like I can still do math mm -hmm. in my head if I need to, but it's just easier sure. to have a calculator right here and do this. Yeah. Yeah, um, absolutely. Are you ready for some harder slash listener submitted questions? Yeah, sure. What is your favorite firework? What is your least favorite firework? 
Great question. Uh, for me, firework is about art, you know, and uh, really what I look for in a great firework. And I mean, it. there's so many different types of effects that are out there uh, that you can, can consider. Uh, for me, what I really want to look for is is just the quality of the shell itself. So I look for symmetry. You know, is it balanced? Does the left look like the right? Does the top look like the bottom? You know, is it laid out correctly in the shell? I look for color, vibrance. You know, I really like beautiful, vibrant colors. I look for effect, uh, stuff I've never seen before, like chase sequences where a firework, for example, uh, they can call it, we call it ghosting, where we'll roll the shells in one color, let it dry, and then we'll roll them in another color. And as the firework burns, it can change colors, for example, from blue to red, you know, those, and sometimes it'll actually chase around the firework itself, you know, where it'll kind of uh, vibrant, uh, bright uh, flashing, which is kind of cool. Um, I look for, you know, kind of uh, unusual shapes. You know, we've got these sh jellyfish shells that'll kind of like be uh, exactly like a jellyfish, you know, things of this nature or, you know, certain uh, certain uh, odd shapes, you know, certainly the stars, the boxes, the hearts. Those are always kind of fun to see and do. And from a, a manufacturing perspective, they're very challenging to create um, and, and make. So that's the kind of stuff I, I really look for. Um, I've been, again, around pyro my whole life and um, – just your standard, just burst in the air, you know, it, those are obviously fun and they're, they're great, but I'm to the point now where it's, it's really about the art and about creating stuff that, uh, that hasn't been seen before or stuff that's very, uh, unusual or very unique. The stuff I don't like, uh, what I don't like, I would say is probably just unnecessarily loud things. Um, you know, and often in our community, it, how big can you make it? How big of a boom you can make it? Uh, sometimes you'll hear the term in the community thump junkies, you know, the people that just want to hear a big boom and a big, big flash. That's cool. You know, I, that's cool once or twice. But uh, frankly, you know, it's kind of a waste of pyrotechnic composition when you can make something a little bit more flashy and, and a little bit more brilliant. Hardest color to make, easiest color to make. I, I'm not going to probably be able to answer this as succinctly as uh, probably people who are more apt for manufacturing that could. With respect to colors, though, I've often heard that getting a really good blue is difficult. And uh, I think one of the easier colors to make is uh, red because there's several different ways I think you can get to red. Who is the Michael Jordan of pyrotechnicians? And if it's you, say it's you, but who is like, ooh. I, there's several people, but uh, if I had to just pick one out of it, and I've had the pleasure of knowing this person my whole life, both personally, as a family friend, and then also professionally working with him, uh, I have to go with our company's uh, president and CEO, Jim Souza, James Souza. He's a full package. Uh, he's an absolute uh, brilliant businessman and a creative genius in so many respects. He designs a lot of the shows, um, you know, and he just has such really good taste in what makes a great fireworks show. Um, if you've ever seen the 4th of July at, at Macy's on NBC, that's his work. What show do pyrotechnicians like yourself, like, what do they consider to be like, this is the show? Like, ooh, that's, that's where it's at, man. From a production perspective, um, what I really enjoy is bringing that happiness and joy to the crowd. You know, you can't watch a fireworks show and not smile. You can't watch a fireworks show and not not point and ooh and ah. And that that for me, as I've told people, you know, when we shoot that fireworks show for that ten minutes, you know, I'm Mick Jagger, I'm I'm Paul McCartney, I'm the guy who actually gets to bring that happiness to people, and then I get to fade and go back into my normal life, which is wonderful. Now, beyond that, though. Uh, to answer the other part of your question as a pyro, what I really get excited for, again, are going to be these uh, 
these membership driven organizations, the WPA and PGI, because often at those events and at Winter Blast for the WPA or the PGI conference, that sense of being able to see that kind of one off like is so very, very awesome. Uh, because, you know, that firework, I mean, it's not like a piece of art that's going to hang in a museum that will be there forever. It, it's a, every time they make it, it'll be a little bit different. It'll never be the same effect twice. And you get to witness this one little thing. And then if you're not there, it's gone. Uh, what I really love about pyrotechnics is the immediacy of it. You know, if, if you're not there, you missed it. And a firework will never do justice on a video recording or a picture. It might look okay, but like the, what you'll see when you're actually there at these membership uh, events where your buddy made that effect, I think uh, to me is one of the things I really enjoy. Have you ever been injured? Thankfully, no. But I will point out, I've also got years of experience and safety and training. And um, I'm very, very conscious of the safety side of this. I'll tell you, again, growing up in this and, and shooting pyro with my dad most of my life, I remember something he told me very, very, very young, and I've never forgot it. There are no second chances. Biggest firework you've ever set off, most fireworks you've ever set off. Uh, in terms of size of fireworks, uh, I routinely shoot uh, large diameter shells. Uh, my 4th of July show, which is for the city of Lake Elsinore here in Southern California, our show features uh, 3-inch to 10-inch. So a 10-inch firework is uh, largest routinely I work with, and we'll have a handful of those shells on our show. And uh, I've been part of shows that have had larger shells, 16-inch shells, 20-inch shells, 22s, 24s, uh, but those aren't ones that I've myself physically worked with but i've been there and when they go off man they are something to be seen and it's important to note with respect to shells we're working in cubic space and the difference between like a 10 and a 12 inch is almost 50 percent. you know in terms of cubic volume it's bigger so uh, as these kind of go up in diameter they don't just it's not a linear thing they get like exponentially bigger in terms of uh in all possible ways, in terms of burst, in terms of effects, in terms of everything, cost, you know, for that matter as well. Uh, now, in terms of most number of fireworks, uh, my 4th of July show on the uh, for the city of Lake Elsinore, that'll end up having about uh, 400 cues. So a cue is like you hit it and something happens. And so uh, we'll end up having 400 cues and one cue can end up having multiple shots associated with doubles or triples or things of this nature. And I've worked on bigger shows than that. Um, the Macy's 4th of July show, for example, in New York, each barge has – uh, thousands and thousands of fireworks on each one. And there's like six barges for that show. For you, what show that you've worked on? Because you've worked on some big ones that you look back and be like, yeah, that was it. Like that was, that was, that was cool. For me, there's like certain memories, you know, that, that are very like, like stuck in my head that I can remember that were like, oh my God, you know, like that was like for that time and place, like the coolest thing ever. And, um, I've had the pleasure of working with my dad for all of these years. Uh, he's been a member of my crew since I've had my license. And, you know, shows that in particular that kind of stick out in my mind for one reason or the other. First show I ever worked on was the Macy's Fourth of July show. I was 18. I was just graduated high school in May. My dad took me to New York. Uh, we worked on that that show. And I remember standing on the barge. And I've been to fireworks shows forever, but it was the first time I'd ever worked a show. And I remember standing on that barge and it's raining down the – um, firework debris, you know, cause you're shooting within the fallout zone. We, we, whenever we shoot a show, we know the perimeter in terms of like when the pyro is going to come down and you're wearing a hard hat and everything. 
just seeing these these mortars go off in in such volume and and frequency, I just remember I was hooked for life. You know, I was like, oh, and the smell of the sulfur, you know, the gunpowder that's going off. I, I was just like, this this is I'm going to do this the rest of my life. There's no question in my mind about it. I'm going to get my license. I'm going to do this forever. Uh, I'm also part of the group that uh, does pyrotechnics at Burning Man every year, uh, which is uh, takes place as a large temporary city that's constructed outside of uh, Reno, Nevada. And I've worked on that uh, event for almost a decade now. And I remember the first time going and actually doing fire art with pyrotechnics at the same time, same thing. It was like, you know, just like, this is an, it's outstanding. This is something I want to do forever. Is it different when you're kind of in that fallout zone when you're close? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, for a couple of technical reasons. And I'll, I'll, I'll tell you the technical reason here, and then I'll tell you what it's like for me now when I'm working on a fireworks show. So uh, when you're part of a crew, and I would encourage you, your listeners, if anybody's interested here, I mean, this is something normal people do. You know, I'm a normal person. I have a normal nine to five job, as do almost everybody in the profession. This is not something, call up your local display company, give me a ring, you know, and and you can come out and work on a show. Anybody can, anybody can do this. In fact, there's a shortage of operators, a desperate shortage, pretty much nationwide. If you look at most of the people in here, there's a lot of gray hair. And this is a very physically demanding job. And there is a huge need for a younger generation to step up and, and get their license and come shoot a show. We don't have enough operators to shoot the shows that we could possibly shoot. And the first thing you're going to notice is that fireworks are in 3D. Most of the time when you're watching a fireworks show, you've got the audience and you're standing in front of the actual pyro itself. But you're, you're looking at it in the same way that somebody looks at a canvas at a museum, you know. And when you're at the fireworks site, you're seeing these things go off in that third dimension, which is vertical space. And it's kind of fun to actually see the vertical separation between some of these different fireworks uh, that you just don't get when you're watching it, you know, a thousand feet away. You're just seeing it happen all in front of you. But when you're standing underneath it or next to it, you're seeing it happen in, in another dimension that you just can't physically see unless you're actually standing there. And you're also getting the uh, impact of the actual firework going off itself, the thump. You know, there's a visible uh, and an auditory and a kinetic thing when you're standing near this in that fireworks fallout zone operating that show. You got your hard hat on. You got your firework turnout on. You got your earplugs in. You're physically feeling these things go off. You know, they're going thousands of feet per second in some instances. After every single Fourth of July or fireworks thing, we're always going to hear about something. When something does go wrong, like where is it usually? And there are certainly accidents that can occur, but a big instance is where I see this is, is that culture. It's that safety, lack of safety mindset and lack of professionalism with respect to uh, producing these shows and allowing for that culture to you know, come and, and create an environment where like a safety event can occur. Everything kind of, kind of comes from there. What do you think about drones? Seems to be the new the new thing now, right? Where they're lighting up these patterns in drones. Is that is that a threat to the that's not like pyrotechnicians aren't like they're gonna take they're gonna take our stuff. <laughs> no, great question. And in fact, our company we partner with many different drone companies, uh, and we've done joint uh, projects where we've had drones flying in the sky and fireworks going along with them. I, I think it could be a great complement to to a fireworks show, and they offer a different type of experience, um, you know, and they're a different tool. You know, why do I have five different types of screwdrivers in my workshop? You know, because I reach for the tool I need for the job that I want to do. Now, saying that, as somebody who likes drones and has shot shows that have included drones, 
personally, I, I, I really like fireworks. And uh, although I, as a technologist, I enjoy the technology behind this. And I think they're really cool with respect to what they do. Um, I don't think it's a matter of uh, replacement. It's, it's really a compliment. It's, it's a, not an and, it's, a, it's an or. You can do both. Do you think that there's going to be is something new coming down the line? We're like, whoa, never seen that before. There's innovations all the time in so many different things from the chemistry of the actual compositions that make the fireworks themselves. Our profession is an industry is constantly striving to, uh, for example, make pyrotechnic devices that are cleaner, safer, more green, more environmentally responsible and sustainable. Uh, there's innovations in safety. You know, in the last 50 years, for example, the advent and introduction of electronic firing and now digital firing that has opened up opportunities for doing pyro musicals uh, and beautifully choreographed shows. And at the same time, improving the safety of the crew that operates those shows. That's a huge innovation. We're seeing lots of innovation in that space as well. In terms of the actual effects themselves, I mean – Think of it as an artist with a blank canvas. Every show you work is a little bit different, and that artist is going to paint a different picture. And I think uh, there's all different types of effects that could be used, and uh, it's about the order, sequence, music, and the circumstances that you put around there. Um, but you know, I'm very—I have a very positive outlook for the industry and uh, and the different types of things that we're going to do. And I believe there's there's going to be new innovations coming, and I'm excited to see what they are. That's pretty much all the questions I got, man. What's kind of coming up next sure. for you? How can people get a hold of you? I know you got a lot going on. Sure, absolutely. And uh, I, I would encourage our audience to go find their local display. Uh, you know, the 4th of July is about community. It's about family. It's about friendship. It's about celebrating America. And one of the best ways of doing that is finding your local community show and supporting your local community, whether you're in Massachusetts or you're in Alabama or Texas or California or Washington, and, and just going out and enjoying it and experiencing it. Um, if you're interested in, in trying this out and seeing if it's a show you want, just look up and find your local display company. Uh, if you're here on the West Coast, check out Pyro Spectaculars by Sousa, pyrospec.com. Um, and you can learn a little bit about us. We have a full training program, and we are absolutely always looking for new operators. It's uh, it's something that we're always trying to recruit. And it is, uh, as I've said a few times here, it's a tradition handed down person to person. And we very much want to get you involved to go out there and, and do this for your community and shoot a show for uh, your your town, your city, your church, your whatever. Um, and it's it's a great way of kind of exploring. Uh, for myself, uh, really about mid next week, I start getting into show mode. Um, as I mentioned, I'm shooting the city of Lake Elsinore here in beautiful Southern California. I've shot the show for many years. I have a great relationship with the city and, and uh, our fire authority there. I've been in contact with them. We're starting to do all the planning and my crew will start showing up. We're actually shooting three shows, second, third, and fourth. And um, over that three days, I mean, it's just going to be a wonderful uh, gathering of old friends and new friends to come together to put on something truly spectacular for that city. And come nine o'clock on, on July 4th, think of me, I'll be standing there with my, my city manager and, and, uh, uh, the parks department there and my fire authority. And we're going to light up the sky and bring the, the city of Lake Elsinore and its citizens, a beautiful display to celebrate America. No, but You've got a podcast too, but it's not now. You're not just doing pyrotechnician full time, right? You got no. other stuff going on. <laughs> yeah, I do, and you know, as I mentioned, 
pyrotechnics brings together people of all walks and all lives. My background, I'm primarily a software developer and uh, I work also in, in uh, um, uh, finance. I'm a, a CPA, I'm, although I'm, I don't practice any publicly any longer, but I do continuing education for accountants and uh, uh, teaching all different types of technology, audit, accounting, ethics, fraud, everything you could think of. And so if you have any financial professionals in the audience and they want to check us out, our company is CPE Today. And you can check us out at CPE Today and find our podcast where we talk about the latest and greatest technology, providing reviews, insight, training. I do a lot of in-depth analysis and uh, training on Excel, Power BI other types of stuff like that. And uh, love for your listeners to check us out. Again, it's CPE today. I want to thank Steve so much for joining us. If you want to connect with him, we have linked to him on our social media accounts. We're profoundly pointless on Twitter, TikTok, and Instagram. And we have also included his information in the episode description. Okay, now let's bring in John Schull and get to the pointless part of the show. Okay, so John went to a bachelor party this weekend, and normally this isn't the kind of thing that we really talk about, but because the last time he was at a bachelor party, somebody got shot, I think we have to ask. The person's fine, emotionally maybe scarred for life, but physically is okay. Do you have any good stories? Oh, there's lots of good stories. Um... But like good stories for people who don't know the people involved. Because I feel like a lot of like, oh, drunk party stories really don't translate very well. Yeah, I mean, none that not that would probably capture audience. Uh, I can tell you uh, one person did end up going to the ER, uh, but it was the, the final day. So technically it doesn't count, uh, but they did go to the ER. I'll, I'll give you two guesses, and, and then I'll tell you what, what, what they went to the ER for. Can I have one guess, a question, and then another guess? Sure. I mean, you could have two questions before your guesses. Okay. I don't, th- I don't think. You um, what type of injury was it? Uh, it was a non-self-inflicted uh, wound. I guess we'll call it. Hmm. I'm gonna guess they probably got hit by something because you sent me pictures, and there was like a swimming pool and foosball and different kinds of activities that were at this area. I'm gonna assume they probably got hit by something, most likely in the head. Uh, you are wrong on that. Uh, they did not get hit by anything. Uh, the second clue I'll, I'll give you, which this will probably give it away, uh, but it involved nature. Did they get attacked by a, a an animal? <laughs> No, they, uh, well, maybe they got bit by something and their right leg started swelling. I mean, and it got super swollen. Right. Don't you need to have what you got bit by to tell them to make sure that they're not like they're giving you the wrong stuff? (laughs) Yeah. As far as I know, this person did not have any idea. They were just like, hey, I've been bit. My foot's the five times the size it normally is. Oh wow! So did they? Did the ambulance come, or did they? Did you take them away? Oh no! They so they drove home, uh, and then realized that the swelling wasn't going down at all, and thought, "Well, I should probably go get it checked out just in case I don't have like a parasite living in my body." Hmm. Always good if you get bitten on the foot and it swells up really badly to then get in your car and drive, because <laughs> you don't need your feet for driving. Well, this person who is a pretty avid listener of this podcast, uh, I hope, is smiling right now. I'm glad you're okay, Dave. Uh, but oh, is Dave? 
Yeah. So, well, you know, hope you're all right, Dave. Yeah, he's. If you he's weren't fine. a listener, we wouldn't care. But That's since you are an avid listener, Dave, hope your foot feels better. I can I can also tell you that all of us walked away <laughs> from there with bloody feet and uh, realizing how fat and out of shape we are. What are you guys uh, doing? Like playing tag? Why was I there mean, this much activity? I mean, you know, I like you said, and I don't expect anyone out there to get this. So I'll, I'll breeze through it. But, you know, there's this property is basketball courts, tennis courts. Oh, but, however, he chose the, the cement of the tennis court or whatever. Uh, the asphalt was in really bad shape. So instead of paying, you know, the ex- the really expensive cost to get it fixed, he just put down like 500 of these little plastic tiles, which makes it look like a tennis court, but it goes on top of the actual court. But they're little plastic tiles. And, uh, man, you're running on those. And, you know, if, if you're running in the creases, it's pinching the shit out of you. Plus, it's 90 degrees and it's just hot as hell. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, it was. Who gets drunk and plays tennis? I mean, it was really basketball, pickleball, uh, all kinds of point? other things that we could invent. Trash that. You gonna get, are you going to get your deposit back or no? Oh, yeah. I should get my deposit back. We, uh, <laughs> I was kind of a stickler. I was I was out at the pool area at like 3 o'clock Saturday morning uh, cleaning up for the next morning. Oh, God. Yeah. It's always tough, though, when it's your money. Like, guys, guys, yeah. don't do that. Well, yeah, good. Man. Well, we hope Dave. We, hope Dave's all right. <laughs> yeah, I hope so. I, uh, I haven't talked to him today, but uh, last check, he was still breathing. So, well, ask him for his stuff before you know anything else changes. <laughs> yeah. Okay. All right. Let's move on. <laughs> Are you ready for the top five? Um. Well, no. Or not top five. Oh my God! Singing top five. I'm sorry. The shout outs. See, you're so caught up with doing your stupid mic thing. I know. I, I, I effed it up. I'm sorry. I'm still thinking about you, Dave, just FYI. Poor Dave. Shout All out right. to Dave. Dedicate this episode to Dave's foot. <laughs> yes. Episode Dave's... two. What are we on? 206 I don't now? even know. 207, I think. Jesus. We've been doing I this a long time. Long Here's time. a question I have for you, real fast. At, at what age... Did you realize that, like, it's just, you're just too old. Like, you're getting old. This year is the first time that I've ever been like, oh, I'm feeling old. (laughs) Like, my body is starting to slow down more than you would, not just kind of like, oh, I can't jump as high as I used to be able to. Or like, that feels a little different. Like, this is the first time that I've ever felt like, oh, I'm feeling a little old. (laughs) Yeah. This is the only time, though. Like, I was throwing a football around on Thursday when we first got to this bachelor party, and my arm fucking hurt on, on Friday. Like, like I was like Peyton Manning throwing a thousand passes during practice, which obviously I'm not. But I was like, man, I'm only 34. What am I going to be doing at 44? Am I even going to have a shoulder at 54? It's Man, how hard it must be to get old is shocking. Like, if you think of how difficult it is, even in our 30s, where you just don't do something for like a week and then you do it again, and you're like, oh my God. Like, imagine being 70 years old and how hard it is just to move. God, you oh got to take care of yourself. Oh my God. It's just, terrifying. You just made me laugh. At my, I had like a booger just sh- shoot out of my nose. Um, that was gross. Yeah. It was what are you going to do with that booger? What do uh, you do with your boogers? Do you just flick them after you pick them? 
I mean, it kind of kind of depends. If I'm at home and no one's around and it's not a good size burger, I might just wipe it on my pants or shirt or something. If I'm in a professional setting or in a formal setting, of course I, you know, skis myself, get a napkin or or a uh, tissue, and you know. But if you're in a professional setting, why are you picking your nose in the first place? No, like if I feel like I have a booger or something, I'll excuse myself and and blow my nose. Do you actually say excuse me or you just walk away? Depends who I'm around. But yeah, a lot of times I'll say excuse me for a moment. Excuse me, I get this booger. Excuse me, I have to run to the to the bathroom. I'll be right back. I guess I just generally kind of rub my fingers together and whatever happens. <laughs> I just leave it to a mystery of the earth. I don't think about it. I mean, I know it's probably sitting around here somewhere, but I just rub my fingers together and like, okay. Which well, it's not which, here anymore. I don't see it right now, so it must be gone. Surprisingly, uh, uh, surprises nobody about you. Okay. All right. You going to do your shout-outs, or are you going to continue to just jump around all over the place? I'm going to do the top five shout-outs of the week. Okay. Fine. <laughs> no, that's kidding. Uh, all right. Uh, Peter Albano, appreciate you. Uh Caesar V, Alex Vashenko, Clint Wimsett. You know why I, I picked Clint on there? I don't. Because, uh, you know, our buddy Clint from uh, Derby, Kansas, big-time listener, long-time fan. Appreciate you, Clint. Okay. Uh, even, even if he listens, he probably doesn't. Uh, Amal Shiresh, Oliver, Lucas Vega, Connor Huff, and Madeline Burgoyne. You all get the special stars of the week. Nice work. Thanks. One of your better ones. One of your better ones. Appreciate that. Uh, all right. Uh, let's see here. Hot dogs. Let's talk about hot dogs for a second. Everybody likes hot dogs, right? You love hot dogs. I do enjoy hot dogs, yes. The longer it goes between a hot dog, the more you like a hot dog. You can't eat a lot of hot dogs in a week. I would say once you're an adult, you can't have any more than three hot dogs a week. Mm. Like, you can't eat, as an adult, you can't have hot dogs multiple times in one week. You can't. So you so you can have three hot dogs in a sitting, is what you're saying. Yeah. You just can't. I take this back. You just can't have hot dogs, like, multiple times in one week. Maybe you can do a Sunday, Saturday, like if you're going to a baseball game or something like that. But you can't have like Thursday night and Friday night or Monday night and Thursday night having hot dogs. You can only have hot dogs once a week as an adult. So my question to you is, how do you like your hot dogs? Steamed, grilled, or in the microwave? Oh, I probably like them in a toaster oven. That's the best way to do it. But if I'm going to go down the list, I'm going to go toaster oven, boiled. I don't know if that counts as steamed or not. Yeah, we, we can we can say that's the same. And then probably the microwave. I don't care about grilling. My stance on grilling is it's a waste of time. I know. It's I inefficient know and never is correctly cooked. There's very few people. The chances that people are good at grilling, not really very high. I mean, don't hate it. I grill all the time. Yeah, exactly. Never had anyone complain once to my face. <laughs> to your face. No, I mean, that's, I would say, you know what, like toaster oven, I go through phases with mustard. Sometimes I'm going to mustard man on a hot dog. Always ketchup, but sometimes I'll go mustard. How about you? 
you know, my favorite, I don't do this because I think it's kind of weird, but when I'm at home and I have hot dogs, I do cheese and ketchup. It is delicious. Yeah, what's wrong with, what's weird about that, though? I mean, I, cheese and ketchup on any kind of meat product is generally always very good. I, I, just, I don't think I've ever seen anybody eat cheese and ketchup on purpose on a hot dog. What do you kind of do? You get like the sprinkle cheese, or are you getting like the craft single unwrap the plastic, no, put it like, on there. No, like uh, like dipping cheese, like you know, like cheese dip kind of stuff. Have you never been to a Seven <laughs> Eleven? Uh, I have. I've never had a hot dog from Seven Eleven. Actually, not that bad. I I go to Quick Trip though. To be fair, Quick Trip to me is the Cadillac of. The Mercedes-Benz, honestly, of gas stations. What's Wawa. the nice gas station in Detroit? We don't have any. I mean, they're, we don't have a, a chain, like a chain only, like a Detroit chain only gas station. We have just the main ones, you know, BP, Mobile. We mm-hmm. don't have, we don't have like uh, Wawa's or Quick Trips or, you know, Moo Moo Cows or whatever it's called down south. Yeah, we don't have any of wow. that. There's no like regional nice gas station in detroit or in I mean, even in the northwest interesting you gotta have a good regional gas station man like i've had quick trips and wawas racetrack uh, was like a slight knockoff gas station what was the i can't remember that there it wasn't even up here there was one in florida too that was kind of specific to florida but i can't racetrack. remember it racetrack track? yeah yeah, yeah. I mean, it's a gas. Well, I mean, what do I want out of a, What do I want out of a gas station? I just want gas. Right, but clearly, you've never gone to a gas station drunk at two o'clock in the morning when they've got a hundred and thirty-two different flavors that you can choose from uh, between sodas and slushies and milkshakes and taquitos and corn dogs and hot dogs and wings and a kitchen and. God. What are you thinking, man? You've never gone to like a truck stop, and just taking a year off your life with the food that you get i i actually have i've i've been there twice uh, well i've been there to eat twice once with you i think and then once with uh my, some of my other friends we stopped in wisconsin at a truck stop and uh boy oh boy there's some interesting characters just there's in those hour that we interesting people at a truck stop yeah. That's America, though, man. I think that most people don't really have a good view of what America really is because we live in a bubble. You go to a truck stop or the DMV or the Department of Motor Vehicles, whatever you call it in your state, you're going to find out what America really is. Like, whoa, no. where did these people come from? Yeah. Uh, let's see. Next uh, next question here. Uh, this one's pretty simple. Uh, out of these four bo- board games, you can either rank them or just tell me what your favorite is doesn't really matter uh monopoly battleship connect four or scrabble well monopoly is clearly number one right that's the best board game of all time without really any kind of competition in my mind monopoly battleship i don't care connect four i can play that and be interested in it for about three games before the other person like as soon as somebody starts starts taking connect four seriously then i'm out like it's we're playing connect four right it's not really that hard to not lose at connect four and then what's the other one scrabble what's that one 
That's the one where you have to make uh, words, and you get the letter tiles, and you have to make I don't want to think that much, right? If there's a game where you have to have a thoughtful strategy on it, I don't really want to do this. I mean, Monopoly is kind of a thinking game. No, you just buy everything you get, and you cheat when you're the bank. That's how you play Monopoly. Uh, I've always hated Pictionary. If there's a party and people want to play Pictionary or something like that, I'm not going. I don't want to stand up there and look like an idiot in front of people. That's just not fun to me. I don't think I've ever been to a party that was like, come over, let's have a party, we're going to play backgammon. Or we're gonna play I don't Risk. think they exist. I think it's a thing that's only exists in movies. I don't think ever anybody... I mean, I've heard of people having like a board game night, but I don't think anyone's ever, ever actually gone. I've heard people say, like, oh, I got invited to a board game night. I didn't go. But I've never heard of anyone actually going to a board game night. Yeah, me either. Most definitely not. Okay. All right. So my my current event (laughs) isn't really a current event, but I wanted to get your opinion on this. So one of the flaws of of this, this property we rented is the toilet paper and paper towel. It is the most cheapest, worst shit you can imagine. So my thought, my question, how important is it to you to have good toilet paper and or good paper towel? Um, It's not high on my priority list, but if I notice that something is especially kind of crappy, that mm-hmm. does reflect poorly on the establishment. Right. Like if I'm going to any kind of regular place, whether it's a restaurant, a business, a gym, whatever, and they've got noticeable like really terrible crap, really terrible toilet paper, then that's going to reflect. It just shows overall that you're cheap and make bad decisions. That's what it really shows me. I mean, here's the I expect like half ply toilet paper to be at, you know, a gas station in Derby, Kansas. Or, you know, at a truck stop in Wisconsin. I don't expect it to be in a house, you know, an Airbnb, essentially, where you have many people are going to be wiping their ass. I mean, anyone anyone who's had half-ply toilet paper, if you have any kind of strength in your fingers, it's just going right through when you try to wipe. And then you just get your fingers all nasty. It's just not a good I don't know what you're doing there, that you're going that aggressive. Because I've never had a pop through or a burst through in my life. You've never had it. Never. No. No. I don't go in there that aggressively. And I'm not doing what you're trying to do when I'm in the bathroom. (laughs) You know what? When the door's shut. (laughs) Oh, accidentally. (laughs) Stuck my finger up my butt again. Well, I mean, you know, it happens. Sometimes, you know, it's a slippery slope to nowhere up there. Oh, it definitely reflects poorly. If you if you have poor toilet paper, it reflects poorly on your establishment overall. Yeah. Okay, are you ready? Are you ready for our top five? I am. Let's blow it up. Let's nice. blast it out of here. <laughs> nice. All right. So sorry. Top. Uh, top five fireworks. What's your number five? Uh, so I went with ones that I've done. Um, so hopefully you all recognize them. Uh, I'll put number five uh, as M80s. Oh, that's a I okay. 
I can see that as being a number five. That sounds pretty good. Those are that's a pretty solid explosion, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, essentially, I was taught at a young age. Like I said, I don't do them anymore because I like to keep my beautiful face and my hands and toes. But uh, basically, M80s are just you know the mindset of I just want to blow something up and I want it to be super loud, super fast, and be as violent as possible. I'm not sure there's any legal fireworks that are as potent that I've ever blown up as an M80. I thought they were illegal in a lot of places. They could be. I knew they I know they were not illegal in Michigan when 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 I did them back mm. in the day. My number 5 is sparklers. <laughs> oh man, we'll get the sparklers. I that's kind of high for sparklers, man. I'm, 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 in my you, opinion. Oh, you think sparklers are a better firework? I do. I yes. I actually have them quite. Uh, I guess to be low on my list. Okay. Interesting. Interesting that you would have M80s and then sparklers on the list. I thought oh. that you were going to go with a much more aggressive list. My list is kind of like, it's a weenie firework list. I'll be honest with you, right? Like I'm not <laughs> going with the hardcore fireworks. Okay. What's your number four? Uh, TNT poppers, or maybe they're just called poppers everywhere else, but they're just, uh, you know, you light the ends and you, you throw them and they make that quick pop sound. Oh, like a black cat. Sh- sure. I, I guess I'm not entirely sure. You don't what have black, black cat? cat? I thought black cat was the, like the official name of that kind of firework. Oh, black yeah. cat. Oh, I guess so. I've never, I've never known it that way. Okay. My number four is a bottle rocket. Okay, I thought about putting that on the list. I've just I've never actually lit one off, so it's kind of cool. It's definitely like a teenager firework, <laughs> where it's a little bit dangerous. You need to know what you're doing, but you're also just old enough to then not do what you're supposed to be doing with it and do stupid stuff with it. Not a good I'm, idea, but that's what people do at that age. I'm pretty sure that Canada banned them, if I'm not mistaken, for uh, being too dangerous. Yeah, I mean, they seem like a pretty dangerous thing. You're essentially launching something that's going to go very fast, explode, and you don't know where it's going to go. Okay, what's your number three? Um, this is kind of a, a tough one because my my one and two are pretty easy. My my three, my third was kind of a you know whatever, but I went with a snake. That's the most boring firework to me i have never understood why anybody would spend money on any of those kind of things where like all right and just on the ground there kind of burning up like a newspaper no but it's i remember i remember you know my friends and i getting a snake and starting it at you know the garage door leading it down to the street and you light it and it you know it just burns and it starts to wiggle and it makes cool shapes and the flames are kind of cool and the you know the things that shoots up are kind of cool so i'm not a fan of any kind of firework in which you light it and then step back to me that's just like all right now it's gonna blow up now it's gonna have colors right like i want it to be a little bit more interactive than that like you get to swing it around you get to throw it that kind of thing i need a more interactive firework than like a light the fuse and get back like, all right, it's going to blow up, man. I mean, I've heard car backfires louder than this. Oh, shit. Yeah, that's my number one, actually, is car backfires. Car bar backfires? Yeah. Okay, What's wait, what number are we on? Number two? You're on your number three, I believe. Roman candle. Okay, so... Roman candle's a cool firework, too. I, li- I like Roman candles. Uh, my number two is where I put sparklers. 
that's why that high or low, however we're going to define this. But like, they're a good, all right, I like them, but they're probably the most, uh, at least my knowledge of fireworks, which is limited. Uh, they're probably the most versatile firework in terms of, you know, you can give a six year old one to, you know, to, to wave around or elderly people like them, adults like them. They're just kind of fun. And then, you know, can put them in your ears. You can put them other places. You can put them a lot of places. Okay. All right. I mean, they're all right. But if a, I have, I'm only interested in a sparkler for about 10% of the sparkler's lifespan. Like, oh, okay. If it's going to last a minute, I'm interested for about six seconds. Like, all right. Cool. Done I with mean, this. It's no glow stick, but obviously a glow stick isn't a firework. So My number two is just a black cat. Black Cat, I think it's the same thing as your TNT fireworks. It's basically a firecracker, right? You light it, it's a short yeah. fuse. You can throw it like 10 feet. Everybody yeah. does that thing where they throw them at each other's feet like idiots. <laughs> Somebody loses <laughs> a thumb or an eye, and that's how it happens. Throw them at your siblings like I've done before. Yep. That's what you do with them. That's what they're made for. Not encouraging this. We're not, look, we are not encouraging <laughs> yeah. this behavior, but we are pointing out facts of what people actually do. Yeah. Like, like have you ever seen somebody be totally, totally safe? Around fireworks. Not a professional, but somebody where you're like, nothing about what you're doing with this firework is dangerous. No. Actually, every time I've been around fireworks, my thought is, someone's going to get blown up. Right. And it's always, okay, when somebody gets injured with a firework, is it always the person you think would get injured with the firework? <laughs> like, of your group of yeah. friends, you can pick out which one. Like, yep, it's going to be this guy. Oh, yeah. And like it's I, that guy. Like, I'm probably that guy. Like, if I was to, like, you know, whatever. If, if the, with the 4th, say July 4th, we're doing stuff. I'd be that guy where people are like, he probably shouldn't be lighting that. And then I light it, and it blows up in my face. And they're, oh, well, yeah, we knew that was going to happen to him. But it's not because you're dumb. It's because you're susceptible to peer pressure more than others. Like, who's going to do it? Well, get John to do it. Like, John will do it. I, I usually never turn down an opportunity. I've never injured myself with a firework, though. Have you? No, but I've been burned. Have you ever been burned before? No. Uh-uh. Yeah, I, I've been burned, and if the little burns that I've had is anything like literally being set on fire or having a, you know, an explosive device hit you, I, I'm good with my little you know stove burns and things like that. I don't want to experience it. The worst thing that I would say has ever happened to me is I was playing with the black cats. I think I was in my 20s. Being a couple dudes and throwing them like, you know, throwing them at each other, doing that kind of stuff. But I threw one and the guy looked down and started walking forward and he almost like, "Oh, I thought he was going to lose his eye." Oh. It Yeah. It would have been his, even though it would have been his fault. Not legally, but it would have been one of those things like, "Oh, you put yourself in that situation. You should have been paying more attention. Like, I would have borne the legal repercussions, but it was his fault for well, not paying attention when we're throwing. Like, if you're throwing black cats back and forth at each other, man, you can't be looking down at your feet. Yeah, you got a heads up a there, right, Clint? Like, it's come on, Wes Clint. Reynolds. Yeah, Wes. Pay attention. Uh, <laughs> That's number one. Uh, it's once again. I might be called different things, but. I know it as it's called a bee. 
like just a letter B E E, but really what it is, it's you know, they, it stands on that, it stands on a, a pole, and you light it, and it just spins around really fast, and it comes off the pole, and it like will travel around the yard until it fizzes out. You know what I'm talking that about? In, that sounds incredibly dangerous. It was actually. Um, that's a terrible idea. But it, it's if you're not the person that's lighting it, which once again you have time to back away because it doesn't come off its post until. Well, after you light it, uh, it's just, I just remember being a, you know, a kid, teenager, just thinking like, that's fucking cool. Yeah. Mr. Hallway to get it. Um, yeah. But, yeah. Your teacher was lighting off. No, my, that was my buddy's dad. It was like, oh, fireworks. okay. Yeah. Did you yeah. always have one guy in the neighborhood who bought like way too many fireworks? Like, why did you just drop $500 on fireworks? <laughs> oh yeah. There was always, and they always bragged about it too. Like, oh yeah. <laughs> Because in, in Michigan they they don't sell them usually, so you, you have to go state lines. Yeah, you have to go down to Ohio. So there's always that trip, you know, where somebody's dad would be like, "I'm gonna go to Ohio to pick up, you know, three boxes that I can buy at Kmart." But let's go down and pick it up, and it's gonna be a road trip. Yeah, there was always that one guy in every group that went the out of state trip to spend way too much money on fireworks, and everybody was like, "What? Okay, yeah. cool. I'll watch you blow them up." I'm not buying any. <laughs> yeah. My number one is those little poppers. Just those little tiny things, right? You just throw them, they go pop on the ground. Just simple little fun. That's all. That's all I need. That's the only, that's all the firework I need is a little thing that you can like just you drop it on the ground and it goes pop. Wow. That's that all I need. A, that one really fizzed out. <laughs> I like them. They're fun. Right? But, uh, nobody's what? getting injured. Nobody's going to get hurt. Nobody's going to get, nobody's going to have, you can throw them in the house. I've done that to throw them at my wife. Just skip, she, but why don't you just get the, a little bit bigger of an explosion, like, like the black cats or the poppers, the big poppers. Because then people get hurt. And I can just have these little tiny things that nothing could possibly happen to any, that, like you couldn't hurt and somebody see, unless see, you were deliberately trying. Our number ones are really like, like how we live life, if you think about it. I'm the out of control, don't take care of myself ball of sparklers that just runs into a, a shed and lights it on fire. You're <laughs> like the more controlled, like, you know, I'm going to have some controlled fun. Just going to throw some poppers on the ground. I'm the smart all, guy. Right. Like, I'm just going to look. But one of us is going to keep lasting. <laughs> exactly. Right? And you can yeah. burn out fast. You want to be the Roman candler, candle, candle? Or do you want to be the sparkler? That's really what it comes down to. And you want to be the Roland Candler and have like a great time for a second. But I want to have a pretty good time and, you know, continue to have a good time. Speaking of candles, I'm going to use this as, a, as an opportunity to segue that uh, we're going to have a good time next episode oh with boy. my candle of the month. <sighs> yeah, I like how you say that I'm the, you know, like you're, gonna, you're the guy who's living life on the edge, but yet you have a candle collection. Uh, actually, I am getting ready to copyright the name, the candle connoisseur. Do you know how to do that? Then you probably I... should do that before you tell people. <laughs> Shit. I'm going to copyright it right now, honestly. It probably already be... is copyrighted for, for, for fuck's I'm sake. I'm going to do it right now. I'm going to get online and do it right now, and you just infringe on my... I always like those people that whenever a new social media platform comes out, they like swoop up and they snag up all the like the company's uh 
handles and then they have to buy them, right? Like somebody gets Smart. at Nike. I always, I, I respect that. I respect it. Smart play. Stick it to the man. All right, what's in your honorable mention? Uh, so yeah, so Roman candles are in my uh, my honorable mention. Like I said, bottle rockets, uh, and then I just have something once again. I don't I don't int- know what they're called. We call them called them mortars, uh, but pretty much what they are, they they're just like those big uh, big cylinder tubes. Oh, you know, yeah. sometimes with supports on them. And you light them, and they're 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 almost like a very small version of what you see in the sky, but you know mm. they're in your backyard and can be very dangerous. I generally don't like any of those kind of like mobile platform looking things, mostly just because like they seemed expensive, and I never wanted to spend that much amount of money and see it go up in a minute, right? Like, all right, that was that worth fifty bucks? Mm, I'm too. The problem I have with fireworks is I'm too cheap. Only thing that I had in my honorable mention is smoke bomb. That can be fun. Get a whole bunch of them, put them in your buddy's mailbox. <laughs> what about a grenade? An actual one? Okay, that's going to go ahead and do it for this episode of Profoundly Pointless. I want to thank you so much for joining us. Make sure, if you're listening to this on the 4th of July or before it or even a little bit after it, stay safe, right? I mean... We joke around, but look, it's not funny if something happens to you or somebody you care about. So let us know what you think are some of the best fireworks. And like I said, we're we're really trying to make this show more interactive, and we're hoping to launch that voicemail in June. Uh, no, we're not hoping. We're going to do it, right? There's been too much of that on the show, specifically from John. Where we're like, oh, we're going to do this. He's wishy-washy. No, we're going to do it. It's happening. We might not do it right, but we're going to do it. So hope you're, hope you're with us for it. We like hearing from you guys. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the Roaring Twenties. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device, or play on PC through Facebook games.